Hi, everybody. It's Derek, and this is your Foreign Exchanges World News Roundup for Thursday, June 1st, 2023. Uh, there's a couple of anniversaries. On June 1st, 1215, after a lengthy siege during which a substantial portion of its population either starved to death or was massacred, the city of Zhengdu, which is known today as Beijing, surrendered to Genghis Khan's invading Mongolian army. Uh, Zhengdu had been the capital of the Jin Dynasty, which ruled northern China. This was the second time in very short order that the Mongols had besieged it. After the initial siege, the Jin retained control of the city, but they moved their court to Kaifeng, a little further away from the frontier, for security reasons. This was perceived by the Mongols as a provocation, as an intention on the Jin's part uh, to signal that they were getting ready to go to war, and thus triggered uh, the second siege. Because the Mongols turned their attention west shortly after capturing Zhongdu, the Jin were actually able to survive the loss of their former capital. Uh, they continued on at Kaifeng until it and the dynasty as a whole fell to the Mongols in 1233. On June 1st, 1916, the Battle of Jutland, the largest naval battle of World War I, and at least by some measures the largest in history to that point, ended in what I would say, there's still some disagreement on this point, was a Pyrrhic German victory. The Germans sank substantially more British ships and killed substantially more British personnel than vice versa, but those were losses that the British Navy could sustain more easily than the Germans could sustain the losses that they suffered. The German government was able to claim victory in the immediate aftermath of the battle, but the British fleet maintained and arguably even increased its naval superiority for the remainder of the war while keeping the high seas fleet of Germany largely out of the Atlantic Ocean. Put another way, uh, the battle was a German tactical victory, but a British strategic one. Of historical note, Jutland was the last major naval battle that featured battleships as aircraft carriers subsequently displaced them as the primary combat ship for large naval powers. On to the news in the Middle East. In Syria, another set of U.S. intelligence reports uncovered in the Discord leak uh, reportedly suggests that Iran is working with proxy militias in Syria to escalate attacks on U.S. service members in that country. According to said reports, this involves providing those militias with, quote, more powerful armor-piercing roadside bombs intended specifically to target U.S. military vehicles and kill U.S. personnel, end quote, to crib from the Washington Post, whose editors, frankly, must be thrilled at all the capital C content they've been able to wring from the Discord leak over the past few weeks. The documents also point to the creation of a coordination center by the Iranian, Russian, and Syrian militaries with the overarching goal of getting U.S. forces out of Syria. I think it's important to note that these are leaks of U.S. intelligence estimates, which means they're guesses about what Iran et al. might be planning and are not direct evidence of anything. But it's even more important to note that if the U.S. government has real reason to fear for the safety of its personnel in Syria, it could just withdraw them. The U.S. has no legal basis for being there in the first place, and even its alleged justification preventing an Islamic State resurgence is thin cover for the real mission, which is squatting on Syria's most productive oil fields in order to keep them out of the hands of the Syrian government. Uh, in Turkey, uh, that country's Supreme Electoral Council on Thursday officially certified President Recep Tayyip Erdogan's victory over Kemal Kılıç Daroğlu in Sunday's runoff. Erdogan took 52.18% of the vote to Kılıç Daroğlu's 47.82%. 
In Iran, the Biden administration on Thursday blacklisted five individuals and a Turkey-based airline affiliated with Iran's Quds Force in connection with alleged plots to kill a number of individuals around the world. Included in this alleged hit list is former U.S. National Security Advisor John Bolton, part of a broader effort to retaliate for the Trump administration's 2020 assassination of then-Quds Force leader Qasem Soleimani. There are also indications that former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and Pompeo's Iran Envoy Brian Hook were targeted. A new report from the Norway-based NGO Iran Human Rights issued uh, on Thursday finds that the country, uh, that Iran, excuse me, carried out at least 142 executions in May alone. Iranian authorities have executed at least 307 people in 2023, uh, an increase of 76% over the first five months of 2022. Many of these executions can be linked back to the Masa Amini protests, but a large number have been carried out for more mundane, for lack of a better term, charges uh, related to drugs or religious offenses. The overarching goal may nevertheless be general public intimidation. On to Asia and Pakistan. Unspecified militants attacked security forces in Pakistan's Balochistan province on Thursday, killing two soldiers. The incident took place close to the Iranian border. It's unclear whether the attackers crossed over into Iran uh, after the attack or crossed out of Iran before uh, the attack. But Pakistani authorities say that they're in contact with their Iranian counterparts. A number of violent groups do operate on either side of the border, including Baluch separatists, Islamist militants, and uh, criminal traffickers. In India, the Indian government released a new national energy plan on Wednesday evening that, among other things, imposes a five-year freeze on the construction of new coal plants. An earlier draft of the plan had estimated that India would need to build out another 8,000 megawatts of coal power by 2027, but the plan now is to add battery capacity instead with the aim of generating that increased power through renewable sources. India is still apparently lagging on its more nebulous long-term clean energy commitments, but assuming this plan holds, it is undoubtedly good news from an environmental perspective. Uh, In North Korea, images of the North Korean rocket that failed to put a spy satellite in orbit on Wednesday, we talked about this in yesterday's newsletter, seem to indicate that said rocket uses components that the North Koreans have developed uh, as part of their intercontinental ballistic missile program. Uh, This is not terribly surprising given the degree of overlap between those technologies, but it does allow the U.S. government to claim that Wednesday's launch, along with every other North Korean space launch, uh, is a violation of United Nations restrictions on Pyongyang's missile program. The U.S. is seeking a U.S. UN Security Council session on Friday to discuss the issue. Uh, it's a specious argument. The implication is that North Korea is carrying out space launches in order to refine its ICBM program, when in reality, North Korea has carried out a number of overt ICBM tests uh, and now seems to be using its missile developments to improve its space program, not vice versa. In Africa, uh, in Sudan, that country's ongoing conflict, and I I continue to hesitate to use the term civil war, which I think implies a level of public support that neither of the combatants, neither the Sudanese military nor the rapid support forces actually has, uh, reached a milestone on Thursday with the imposition of its first U.S. sanctions. They grow up 
so fast. Uh, in what I guess was an attempt to be even-handed, the Biden administration blacklisted two firms with ties to the military and two more with ties to the RSF. This step is an acknowledgement that U.S. diplomatic efforts have failed following the collapse of ceasefire talks on Wednesday and came after an attack on a market in Khartoum left at least 18 people dead. Given the reports that the market was bombarded from the air, it seems likely that the military was responsible. Uh, the governor of Sudan's Darfur region, Mini Minawi, called earlier this week for Darfur residents to arm and prepare to defend themselves. Uh, th there are concerns, justifiably, that this could be the precursor to a militia recruitment drive. Minawi is linked to a faction of the Sudan Liberation Movement, also known as the Sudan Liberation Army, a militia that descends from the Darfur Liberation Front and is comprised of several non-Arab Darfur groups. The SLM has a long and hostile history with the Arab tribes that comprise the RSF and its Darfur support network. Arabs aligned with the RSF have been attacking non-Arab communities in the region since the RSF and military started fighting on April 15th, so a mobilization among those communities would not be entirely unexpected. In Burkina Faso, jihadist militants attacked a food convoy in that country's Nord region on Wednesday, killing two civilians, according to the Burkina Bay military. The convoy's security detail then killed at least 50 attackers and drove the rest off. In Nigeria, according to the international crisis group, Boko Haram is rebuilding amid its ongoing conflict with its Islamic State West Africa province offshoot. Uh, I'll read you a couple of paragraphs of their report. On the battlefield, ISWAP remains dominant. It took over the Sambisa forest, adding to the rural areas it controls in northern Borno, Borno State, notably the southern shores of Lake Chad and the Alagarno Forest on the Yobi State boundary. Uh, ISWAP has instituted a semblance of governance in these areas, in part by taking a more moderate stance towards civilians than JAS. This is the acronym for Jamaat Ahla Sunnah Lidawa Wal Jihad, a.k.a. Boko Haram. Uh, JAS regards all civilians as fair game for plunder. It frequently steals crops, livestock, and other items, rendering travel so unsafe that people are afraid to take goods to market. ISWAP, on the other hand, guarantees people freedom of movement, allowing them to engage in normal commerce, though it taxes the proceeds. Soon after former Boko Haram leader Abu Bakr Shekau's death, ISWAP reached out to JAS units offering to absorb them on the condition that they cease ransacking villages and attacking civilians. To ensure that its new recruits would honor these terms, it confiscated their guns, storing them in armories. It is ISWAP's policy to limit the circulation of weapons and hand them out only when it needs extra firepower for large-scale operations. It was thus able to attract a number of JAS commanders, but not many fighters who were alienated when ISWAP began to disarm them. JAS is now a much weaker force, but it is hardly vanquished. Estimates are unreliable, but most believe that at least 3,000 JAS fighters surrendered to the Nigerian authorities following Shikau's death. JAS still has several thousand men under arms, however, though ISWAP's ranks are most likely larger. Other JAS cells have resumed fighting ISWAP as well as the Nigerian and Cameroonian armies. They have also restarted their predation on civilians. Uh, there's much more uh, at the link uh, if you want to check that out. In the Democratic Republic of the Congo, East African community member states agreed on Wednesday to extend their regional military deployment in the eastern DRC through at least September 8th. 
The EAC force has had a mixed record at best, having negotiated some limited withdrawals by the rebel M23 militia in North Kivu province, but overall having failed to bring that insurgency to an end. Congolese President Felix Shisekedi criticized the force's performance last month and hinted that the deployment would end soon, but apparently he's had a change of heart. In Europe and Russia, the Russian military claimed on Thursday that its forces fought off three attempted incursions across the Ukrainian border directed at the embattled town of Shebekino in Belgorod Oblast. Uh, these were presumably carried out by the same pro-Ukraine Russian partisan groups that have been re- responsible for previous attacks in Belgorod uh, and other parts of Russia. According to Russian officials, some 50 of the attackers were killed, while civilians in the area were evacuated due to shelling and drone activity. In Ukraine, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky attended a meeting of the European political community in Moldova on Thursday to press his case for Ukraine's admittance into NATO. In Norway, meanwhile, Alliance Foreign foreign Ministers, uh, NATO Alliance Foreign Ministers, spent part of their day bickering over that very subject. Several NATO member states are calling for a concrete path toward Ukrainian membership in the alliance, so there is no chance Ukraine will be admitted in the middle of an ongoing war. Uh... To the extent that uh, the completely nebulous promise of future membership in, uh, that NATO gave to Ukraine in 2008 helped to birth the present state of affairs, there is a case to be made that clarity on Ukraine's status would be helpful. But NATO can't definitively offer Ukraine membership for uh, the aforementioned reason of the war itself and because there's no agreement on that within the alliance. And most member states refuse to definitively rule Ukraine out as a future member because they feel that would constitute rewarding Russia for its invasion. Alliance leaders are hoping to be able to make some sort of commitment to Ukraine at next month's NATO Leaders Summit in Lithuania, but the members are nowhere near anything approaching consensus. In Norway, as part of his visit to that country on Thursday, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken announced the opening of a new American presence post in the Norwegian city of Tromsø. Uh, The new facility would be the northernmost U.S. diplomatic outpost in the world and indeed the only U.S. diplomatic outpost north of the Arctic Circle. The State Department previously had a facility in Tromsø that it closed in 1994, but the resurgence in hostility with Russia coupled with the melting of the Arctic ice cap due to climate change, has generated new strategic interest in the region. In Sweden, NATO members are also hoping to introduce that country as the alliance's newest member at next month's summit. Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg told reporters on Thursday that he's headed to Turkey to press the issue. As I noted earlier this week, it sounds like the U.S. is making a fairly explicit F-16s for Sweden offer uh, to Recep Tayyip Erdogan, whose election victory, as I mentioned earlier, means there's less political need for him to look like he's standing up to the West. Uh, For whatever it's worth, Joe Biden seemed fairly certain of Sweden's accession uh, in remarks he made at the U.S. Air Force Academy's graduation ceremony on Thursday. Uh, And the Swedish government is hoping that a new anti-terrorism law coming into effect this week will win Ankara's approval. Uh, In the Americas, finally, in the United States, uh, the Lever newsletter digs into the environmental repercussions of the new debt ceiling bill and shockingly finds that they're not great. 
I'll read you just the introduction to that piece. The House of Representatives voted 314 to 117 last night to approve a debt deal that includes provisions expediting construction of a controversial fossil fuel pipeline and attempting to block courts from hearing challenges to its legality. The language nestled into the agreement reached by the Biden administration and congressional Republicans last weekend came amid a flood of campaign cash from executives at Next Era Energy, one of the companies spearheading the pipeline. Uh, to Senator Kirsten Cinema from Arizona and two other Democratic senators whose votes could be needed to pass the agreement. Uh, the bill now advances to the Senate. Not only does it mandate approval of a major gas pipeline, it also omits proposals to expedite construction of transmission lines that energy grid experts say are necessary to transition the country off fossil fuels. Uh, this is me again by way of an update. Uh, according to Reuters, the bill will likely have passed the Senate by the time you read this or listen to this, I guess, uh, uh, as the case may be, uh, at which point it will go to Biden to be signed into law. Uh, according to Lever, the bill provides legal protections to the controversial Mountain Valley Pipeline Project uh, that could shield it from further challenges, and it directs any challenges not covered by those protections to a court that's likely to rule in favor of the pipeline. To say that this sets a troubling precedent for future projects like this seems to be an understatement. Uh, on that note, uh, that's all for us tonight. Thanks to all of you for reading and or listening to the newsletter. Uh, and thanks to those of you who are foreign exchange subscribers, especially if you're a paid foreign exchange subscriber, and I uh, get tired of making this pitch, but if you're not one of those, please, please do consider it. Uh, we could really use your support around here to keep the newsletter going and to uh, continue to grow, to bring in more writers and do more frequent uh, guest pieces, which is something I would uh, dearly love to do if we could afford it. Uh, so if you're enjoying the newsletter, please... Uh, please do consider supporting it. Uh, and with that, until next time, as always, take care, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.